Welcome to Fifth in Mission. I'm Dominic Fracasa. Last year's reckoning over the killings of black and brown people at the hands of law enforcement introduced much of the country to the talk. It's the conversation that parents have with their black children about how to deal with encounters with police officers. Now, the police killing of Dante Wright in Minneapolis has taught the country about another painful conversation that black kids have with their parents. It's the call. And as Chronicle columnist Justin Phillips writes, it's the phone call that many black men in this country have to make to their mothers when police lights flash in their rearview mirrors. Justin joins us now to talk about his latest column. Hi, Justin. Hey, Dom. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. These conversations, the call, the talk, these are unique burdens that black families in this country have to bear. Right. And, and you write, actually, in, in, your, in your column, you write that you had, you've had to have this talk yourself on a couple of occasions. Yeah. And I wondered if we could just sort of kick this off, if you wouldn't mind sharing those experiences, what the tenor of the conversations are, what those, what, 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 what is the, what is it you have to say exactly? How do those go? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question, man. I think, um, one of the things I want to say for this too, cause I've written about this, uh, a couple of times in the past to like the idea of the talk, like I, I come from a unique, uh, perspective on this because, you know, not only am I a black dude, but my dad was also in law enforcement for most of my childhood. Like I grew up and and he was a cop. I grew up around cops. Like these guys coached my little league teams. They came over for barbecues. They played dominoes on the porch, like that kind of stuff. But I still, you know, my parents still gave me the con- the talk, the conversation about how to deal with law enforcement, especially my mom, you know, because she was like, not every cop's going to be like your dad. Not every cop's going to be like your dad's friends. And it's this idea that, you know, you have to go into these situations where as a black guy, you, as a black male in this country, you immediately have to de-escalate a situation. You can't go into it angry. You can't be, um, you can't, you know, seem aggressive, whatever that may look like. Like you already have to have the tools to de-escalate something because they let us know, like mothers let us know the dangers that lie within, you know, dealing with police officers. So that's part of it. And then the call is another angle. So we have that talk. You know, our mothers give us that information, let us know that we have to be careful. And the call comes when we think about that talk, when we see the police behind us, you know, and it's that moment of like confusion where you want some clarity. You also want some comfort, man, because you're scared, you know? And so you call your mom like, hey, this is happening behind me. This situation is unfolding. I need I need to hear your voice kind of thing. Just now you said that that, what you're what you're taught by your parents is that you have to be the one to de-escalate. Yeah, that, that you have to be, uh, in a sense, like the the professional in the situation. Right, and and you you just you know it's it's absolutely a tragedy and a travesty, but you just do not have to look that hard to see why. I mean these these encounters turn deadly so very quickly, and 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 it's just it's just fascinating to hear that. You know, among you know a black family where they're talking to talking to their kids, talking to their sons, saying you know you've got to be the one to basically I don't want to say handle the situation, right. but you need to be aware of this, that, and the other in order to in order to come out of this this encounter alive. For goodness sake, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's I'll put it like this: when people tell me stories of them non-black people, usually white people, when they tell me stories of being stopped by the police and they're like, yeah, I told that cop off. I was like, why'd you, you know, why'd you stop me? I I pay your salary, like that kind of stuff, being verbally aggressive. 
it blows my mind. I have never <laughs> done that. I couldn't even imagine having that perspective or having, you know, the confidence in in the situation or being so sure of my own safety around law enforcement where I could say something like that. You know, like me, my brothers, even my father, after he got out of law enforcement and we moved around, you know, and people didn't know he was a cop. Like the thing is, when a cop approaches your car, you always have to have that calm demeanor. You don't make any immediate moves. Like you're literally taught to be calm, to be able to diffuse the situation because the assumption is that they might be angry. And we look at, you know, the history of violence against black people during these traffic stops where, you know, we have to play that role. We have to have that knowledge. Doesn't matter if you have a learner's permit or if you're, you know, a, a senior driving around, black people have to know this information. You know, it's what's, in sort of implicit or what is uh, kind of a background hum in in conversations like this it, it seems to me that you know black people and particularly black men simply are not permitted to move around this country mm. move through their own lives in in the same way as as other people that that like to put it one way like the very the kind of very fabric of of reality for black people is 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 different and is shaped by the fact that you step out your door you're you are not you are in in many ways more vulnerable right than than other people that you as a black dude have have a different set of of priorities and and even like the instincts that you use to kind of go about regular stuff in your life that me as a white dude i just don't that that aren't even a part of my 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 consciousness or my conscious thinking you yeah. know what i mean and there's yeah. Yeah. it 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 seems to me that there is just a very deep and and fundamental unfairness to that but but it's also it th that unfairness also has life or death consequences right too yeah it's not so much a, a a a problematic social structure that we're dealing with like you fold in the element that when we're talking about police you know we're talking about young black men being safe around police having to diffuse situations what you're talking about is a young black man talking to someone with a firearm on their hip you know who can draw that and shoot at them like there is inherent danger tied into all of this it isn't just you know i've written before about black bodies occupying space you know like for me if i wanted to go get my steps in on my fitbit depending on the neighborhood that I'm going through, the demographics of that neighborhood, if there aren't many people that look like me, odds are I'm going to pull the hoodie off my head. You know what I mean? Like, I know that what it looks like for somebody like me to be crossing into a space like that. And, you know, police stops and data show us that, you know, we might not be welcome in those spaces and it could be dangerous for us. Then when you think of traffic stops, we're taking that whole, that social element and we're kind of like expanding it, exacerbating it almost when, we're talking about police because police have weapons. They have firearms. So you take this kind of fear that's weaved into our daily existence and then you put it in a traffic stop where the person talking to you has a gun. Like it's we're talking about life and death. Like you said, this is a it's, it's a deep conversation. Well, and, and just want to point out another another uh, something else you you report on in your column that, you know, data shows. I believe this is a, a, a looking back over the last couple of years mm -hmm. that black Americans are on average three times more likely than white people to be killed right. during a police encounter, which is stark. Yeah. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break right now and come right back on Fifth Admission to talk more with Chronicle columnist Justin Phillips. We'll be right back after a short break. 
You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Back now with Chronicle columnist Justin Phillips. So, Justin, the officer who killed Dante Wright says she mistook her gun for her taser. She thought she was firing her taser and it was her her service weapon. And that's that's caused uh, a number of people really across the country to recall the police killing of Oscar Grant. Right. You actually spoke to to Oscar's mother for this column. Yeah. What did she have to say? How was she holding up? You know, honestly, man, it's a phone call that you hate to have to make, you know, as a reporter. Like, I don't want to have to call black mom and be like, you know, hey, look at this thing that happened. Let's talk about the same thing that happened to your son. Like, it sucks, man. It sucks. But that's the world we live in. She's holding up well. You know, she's um, tired. She's busy, you know, for all the wrong reasons, because she's thinking about how she can be supportive of the right family, um, you know, more work that needs to be done to improve policing in America. She's thinking about Oscar. You know, this is another moment that reminds her of what happened to Oscar. She's thinking about the whole gun taser confusion that police have. It just brings up a lot of painful memories for her. But, you know, uh, Wanda's a really strong woman. You know, and um, she's doing as well as can be. But, you know, talking to her, she's insightful as always. And a lot of it is just thinking about the future, like examining the present, you know, saying how bad this is, saying how much work needs to be done. But it's also, you know, she thinks about the future and, you know, what other steps need to happen so officers have better training. So this kind of thing doesn't happen. So there isn't another mother that's turned into an activist like she is, you know. You know, we've we've talked a couple of times about traffic stops in particular and about how when the flashing red and blue lights come up behind you, that is, you know, a, a particularly worrisome and with with good reason for mm-hmm. for young black men in particular. And I was uh, I was struck in your column, you know, as 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 you write, so so many of these police killings begin with a traffic stop, mm-hmm. which is this this crystallization of a confrontation between law enforcement and and in in the case of what we're talking about, in the world of what we're talking about here, with 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 black people, with black men. Right. So I, you know, you write that you make the case in your column for shifting traffic enforcement away from police officers from people carrying guns right on them. right can, can you talk flesh that out for us talk a little bit more about that if you would yeah i mean so there there is kind of a precedence for this uh or or just at least the idea of it because i know in berkeley they're discussing ways to improve policing to diminish racial bias in policing by shifting you know a lot of the traffic stop responsibilities to unarmed civilians like it's a conversation that's happening now and it's a similar thing that's happened in various cities throughout the country but it's more important now than ever, especially on the heels of this uh, this Dante Wright shooting. And the idea, I, I think, folded within this is, you know, the fact that we need to point out that in the defund the police movement, the foundation of that conversation is about improving 
policing as it relates to people of color. Like, that's the main thing. You know, we want to make that experience better. We don't want to see so many, you know, we don't want to see us killed. Like, we want our lives to be better uh, with policing around in whatever form it might be. And I think, you know, in departments doing this, it might take some investment. It might take the creation of maybe a task force or shifting these responsibilities to another department. Nobody's saying it's easy. Like, I know it's not easy. But in this column, I'm just saying that the conversation around taking a broken taillight stop, a, you know, faulty, you know, registration stop, a cracked windshield stop, taking that out of the hands of armed police officers just makes sense, especially when you see the data that shows black men often get killed in these stops and the data that shows that black men often are stopped by police. Like there's a connection there. So if we can diminish how often they're stopped, and we can diminish how often they're stopped by police with weapons, I think we can see good results. It's just that it's a conversation that departments have to have to have, and it's a change that must be made in some way. Well, Justin, I just want to thank you so much for your time this afternoon, and uh, and thanks for the work that you're doing. Dom, I appreciate it, man. This is a great talk. I appreciate it. Our thanks again to Chronicle columnist Justin Phillips, to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on Fifth and Mission. I'm Dominic Fercasso.